First John chapter one, we'll start in verse number three. We're going to be talking today about connecting with Christ. We're going to be talking about fellowship. We can see on our uh, Sparrow's five purposes, fellowship is number three. That's not only fellowship with one another, that's also fellowship with him. It's primarily fellowship with him. And if we have fellowship with him, that makes our relationships with one another so much better, right? Oftentimes we have problems in our relationships and we think, why is this? Well, if I get in fellowship with God and that person gets in fellowship with God, it changes everything. So we're going to be talking today about fellowship with Christ, connecting with Christ. Let's look at verse number three, first John one and verse number three. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment and we'll pray and then we will continue on. Father, we're so thankful for an opportunity to worship you. Thank you, Lord, for the singing of your people. Thank you, Lord, for wonderful songs that we can sing. Thank you, God, for every person who came to help and volunteer and give of themselves and set everything up. And those who have prayed for this service, those who have traveled uh, long distances and and, uh, we're so thankful for meeting here. But Father, all is vain unless your spirit comes down and speaks to us in a very special way. And Father, I pray that you would forgive me for sin in my heart. And I pray that you would use me as a vessel, as a voice for your word. God, there's no way that I can meet the needs of each person in this room. I don't know their needs. And if I did, I couldn't meet that need. We look to you, the Father of lights, the Father of spirits, God, the the God of all comfort, And Lord, I pray that you would meet our needs as we consider truths from this passage about fellowshipping. Father, it could be that there's someone here today who has never truly fellowshiped with you because they've never been saved. I pray that you would help them see that and that they would trust you as their savior. God, I pray for those of us who are saved that you would point out anything that may be in the way of our fellowship. We love you. We thank you for this time. I pray that you would bless it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God has always wanted fellowship with us. If we take our Bibles and go back to Genesis chapter number 3. If you take the topic of fellowship... You take the topic of walking with God. This is the purpose of why we were created. Why are we here? Why am I living? Why am I, have I had the life experiences that I've had? Why did God choose for me to be born as me? Why did God come and create the human race to begin with. 
He did so for his glory, for him to get the glory, for him to get the praise and the attention through us. We are not created for us. We were created for him. And the way that we align ourselves with that purpose is through fellowship with him. God has always designed us to have a relationship with him. And of course, sin broke that relationship and God has been in the process of repairing that up until this day. And one day when we're in heaven, we will have unbroken fellowship with him and with each other. Don't we enjoy being together? Okay, well, we do. Of course we do. Absolutely. That's why we're looking forward to soup Sunday, right? I love trying all the different soups. It's wonderful. You can't just have one bowl. And by the way, don't do that. You guys have you ever done this? Where you where you do the uh, like when you were a little kiddo and there was a there was a restaurant that had the, the fountain drinks and you just tried them all at once in one cup. What did it taste like? I don't really know, but it wasn't great. So at Soup Sunday, don't put all the soup in one bowl. Man, you guys are a tough crowd. You guys got to help me out a little. That was a funny joke. Man. Look at Genesis chapter number three and look at verse number one. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Notice from the very beginning, fellowship with God was not free in the sense God wanted us. He required of us as Adam and Eve and our great, great grandparents required of us to obey him in order to have that unbroken fellowship from the very beginning. God wanted Adam and Eve to choose to fellowship with him. That's why he put the tree in the garden. He could have made us like robots, flesh and blood robots, which apparently the scientists are trying to come out with nowadays. I don't know, right? But where's the free will? If you can force somebody into loving you, is it really love? If you can force somebody into admiring you and praising you, it sounds like a hostage situation. Seriously, isn't that true? You better say I'm a nice guy. You're a nice guy. Please let me go. Right? And God didn't want that. He didn't design us that way. He wanted us to see who he was and to want to be with him. But in order for us to want to be with him, there also has to be an alternative. And that's why he put the, the fruit tree in there that they couldn't eat of. So they could choose to be with him. But here comes the tempter. Here comes Satan. And of course, we know the story. Verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. It wasn't necessarily physical death. The Bible does say the wages of sin is death, but then it talks about the second death, which is spiritual death. The day that Adam and Eve broke that commandment of God and disobeyed, spiritual death was instantaneous and physical death began. They didn't physically die on that day, but spiritually they were separated from God. 
And that is spiritual death. In order for them to have that fellowship renewed with God, they had to have, at that time, an animal sacrifice, which, by the way, God was the first one to sacrifice animals to bring human beings and God back into connection with one another because it pointed to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ one day. Amen. All kinds of strange ideas nowadays out there about how horrible a person we are if an animal dies. We have exalted the life of an animal far above our relationship with God. And just like God created us for him, God created animals for him. We have a little puppy dog. He's still a puppy. We've had him for a year now. Can you believe? We haven't had an an Oliver one-year anniversary birthday cake, but it's coming. (laughs) Not chocolate. Don't worry. Man, when we come home, he goes nuts. Right? His little tail's wagging. His whole body's just going like this. And it's like, man, aren't you dizzy? He doesn't get dizzy. He's so excited. And I think that when you look at creation, it can teach you something about God. And it can teach you something about a relationship. And I don't want to get too weird and too spiritual here, but it's like, how excited am I to see God? How excited am I? Just, I mean, anyway, just God created animals for his pleasure. And we can see from the very beginning that when they sinned, it broke the fellowship. And it says here um, in verse number six, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit that Reven did eat, gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat, verse seven, and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God's always been a spirit. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. John chapter four talks about that. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. They didn't physically walk with God in the garden. But they, listen, they had no sin nature that obstructed their ability to perceive and sense the closeness of God's presence. They were originally created with instantaneous connection and awareness to God. And again, one day we will have that in heaven. Praise God. That's, that's his, and you think, well, I don't know what we think, but that, that's the way it's going to be, and it's going to be amazing. But sin broke that. Notice what happens when they heard him walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It says in verse number eight, halfway through, and Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence. Why did they hide? Because of the sin. They felt guilty. They disobeyed God. And they hid from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Verse nine, and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Notice that he doesn't start with a, a declaration of, I know what you did. Right? Again, it's like when you go home and your doggies made a mess. What did you do? Well, you know what he did. He may not even speak English. Hmm. But feels guilty right away. 
tiny little tail waggle, droopy ears. Where are you? Can, can, I, can I respectfully ask this question when it comes to your connection with God? Is God asking you right now, where are you? He asks that of every person who's ever been born. Where are you? There's something in the heart of every person. There's the light of eternity, the ticket eternity. Mankind, human beings, there is something inside of us that wants and has to worship something. We have to set something up and bow down to it and worship. We have to. For some people, it's a celebrity. You say the name of a celebrity and say anything negative, oh man, some people get so mad. Why? That's who they worship. They even say, that's my idol. Right? Some people worship themselves. Some people actually worship idols. God asks, where are you? He wants to meet with us. He expects to meet with us. He has done everything in order to break down that which comes between us and our connection with God. Where art thou? Verse 10, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. This is Adam. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Have you ever thought, where did all the religions in the world come from? Has anybody ever asked you that question? Where'd all the religions in the world come from? Well, there's some specific answers. The first religion that man started was right here. Oftentimes we think of Cain and Abel, but the first one, listen, the first one is when Adam tried to cover his shame on his own. I was naked and I hid myself. What does God say? I heard the voice in the garden, verse 10, verse 11 said, he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Notice he's asking him questions. Did God know the answer? Of course. Wait, listen, we are not cleansed by the righteousness of Christ until we are willing to honestly answer the questions that God asks us in our heart. We cannot have a relationship with God unless we are honestly willing to answer the questions that God poses in our life and our heart. I think we're thinking about Jonah. Jonah didn't want to do what God told him to do. But he, he knew God was telling him. He perceived that God was telling him, go to Nineveh and preach. And what happened? Well, he went the opposite direction. Big storm came. They threw him out of the boat. He got eaten by a whale. Three days in the whale's belly. The whale vomits him out. Right? Wouldn't that be fun? Not really. I heard a sermon one time to teenagers called Don't Be a Vomit Chunk. It's talking about don't live a life in disobedience to God and then try to come back. Just do right the first time. Right? He goes and he preaches against Nineveh. Nineveh, man, they listen. They, they all put on sackcloth. They put ashes on their heads, showing their humility to God. They change their ways. They repent. God forgives them. Jonah, is he happy? No, he's mad. Why? Because he hates the Ninevites. 
They're his enemies. Imagine the enemy of, of Canada or something where it's like these people want to kill all of us. And you have to go and preach and they all repent. And it's like, man, they've done something terrible to me or my, my family. It's like, I want them all to die and get what, they, get what they deserve. That was kind of the situation with Jonah. So then God sends this little, he's sitting there, Jonah's sitting there on a hillside overlooking the city. And he's waiting to see if God's going to judge them. And what happens? God sends a little plant. The Bible calls it a gourd. He's sitting in the hot sun and this little plant comes up over, overnight. God made it, made it happen. And there's this big leaf over his head shielding him from the sun. Jonah's so happy. He's so excited. But then the next day, the plant dies. Guess what? Jonah's mad again. He's kind of a mad guy. Angry guy. And what does God say? He says, doest thou well to be angry? He comes at him with a question. Why are you angry? I'm, I'm, I'm angry because of this gourd. God says, you're angry and you're upset that a gourd died, but you want thousands and thousands of people to die. You care more about a plant than you care about people. My friends, God uses questions. God uses questions. Listen, God uses questions to show us where we are in our relationship with him. I have some doubts. Is that a doubt or is that a question from God? We have to deal with the doubts. We have to answer the questions honestly if we're going to have, <clears throat> if we're going to have a growing relationship with God. One statement a pastor made one time says, the man or woman who walks with God always arrives at their destination. The Christian who walks with God always arrives at their destination. You want to know what your destination or your destiny should be in life, your true purpose, my friends, we need to walk with God. We need to have a relationship with him. That is where we find joy and peace. That's where we find purpose. That is where we find our true reason for being here. The Bible says in Genesis 5 and 22, and also in verse 24, let me read these for you. It says, and Enoch walked with God. After he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters, verse 24, and Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. This is one man in the Old Testament where God just scooped him up and took him to heaven. It says he walked with God. He was walking with God on earth and praying and having communication with God and having sweet fellowship with God. And then all of a sudden, now it wasn't dirt under his feet. It was streets of gold. To him, it was one and the same. Walking with God can absolutely change our perspective in life. Genesis 6 and verse number 9. Genesis 6 and verse number 9. This is the story of Noah and the ark. Noah and the great flood. It says in Genesis 6 and verse number 9. 
These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect or mature is what it means. In his generations, it says, and Noah walked with God. God had big plans for Noah. God had big plans for the earth. It was time to have judgment. And he promised he would never do this again. But he destroyed the earth with a flood because the wickedness of man was so great. And he looked for one person. And that person was someone who walked with God. If you want to make a difference in this life, walk with God. If you want to try to find your purpose, walk with God. Be willing to get rid of anything in your life that obstructs your walk with God. Hey, other people may, may be able to listen to that type kind of music. But you can't. Why? Because it affects your walk with God. This is the one thing that you should protect above everything in your life. I'm willing to obey anything God tells me to do. Why? Because my relationship with God is worth it. I'm willing to say, listen, I'm willing to say the gospel to that person, even though I'm really scared. Sometimes it has nothing to do with how much you care about that person. It has everything to do with, I'm not willing to tell my savior no. Because I do not want anything to come between me and my relationship with him. I'm willing to go anywhere. I'm willing to go anywhere. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And for many Christians, that means that you live your life in the particular town where your family is and you have your, your life. But for some... God calls that family, that man, that woman away somewhere else. Why? Because that's where Jesus is calling them. He, listen, he's not, the, the, the church is the one that sends out missionaries. Jesus calls. The church sends them away. Jesus says, come with me to this place. He doesn't send, he calls. Oh, what a difference between a sending and a calling, my friends. Recently read in a book where the author said that he had a very good job in the corporate world, making an extraordinary amount of money. But it began to cost him in two areas. One, it began to cost him in his family life. He was spending less and less and less time with his family and more and more and more and more time at the office. Secondly, cost him his relationship with God. He, he didn't lose his salvation. If he'd have died, he'd have gone straight to heaven. But he didn't have that fellowship, that communion, that friendship, that relationship with God. He quit his job. My friends, he quit his job. Do not allow success in this world to cost you everything that you hold dear. There are some things more important than money. Riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. 
It says in the book of Proverbs. If thou be a man given to appetite, put a knife to thy throat. I've got to have it. I've got to be successful. I've got to. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. Love not the world. Why? The world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. As Christians, we recognize that the most important relationship in my life is my relationship with my Savior. I love him. And that's why I do what I do. I don't do what I do because I have to. If you're living a version of Christianity where you have to, your relationship with the Lord is not right. I've got all these rules I've got to do. Rules? Rules? What are rules to a relationship? You mean I'm going to honor that other person so I can enjoy our time together and I love and respect that person? Those aren't rules. That, hey, if you love me, keep my commandments. These aren't rules. This is just an expression of my love for the Lord. I don't listen to that music. I don't watch those TV shows. There's lots of TV shows that we can watch, that I can watch. But there are some, the Lord inside, the Holy Spirit, he says, "Mm. Mm. nope. You see, though sin will not send me to hell because I'm saved, sin will break fellowship. And if I become insistent, self-willed. And if I demand that I live my life the way I want to live my life and make the choices that I want to live, I am now pleasing myself. I'm no longer living for him and that breaks fellowship. I've become my own God. And that's idolatry. Do you have fellowship with him? When Jesus was here, On the earth, he walked with the Father every single day. Satan tempted Jesus to sin in Matthew chapter 4. And Satan was wanting Jesus to break fellowship with the Father. Listen, Jesus had ongoing, unbroken fellowship in his life the whole time he was here. The only time the fellowship was broken with the Father is when he was carrying my sin and your sin. And for Jesus to have broken fellowship with the Father was excruciatingly painful. It says in Matthew 27, 46, in about the ninth hour, this is while Jesus is hanging on the cross, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Christ bore our sin and was separated from the Father so that when we accept him as our Savior, we never have to be separated from the Father. Why would we choose to live a life separate from the Father when he has done that for us, 
Don't allow any sin to come between you and him. Don't allow sleep to come between you and him. Don't allow some kind of, of, of aspiration of living an amazing life in Canada. It breaks my heart when immigrants come to Canada and they have this mindset of, I will have the Canadian dream no matter what. No matter what. You be careful signing a check. You be careful signing a check before you know how, how much the amount is going to be. You may get that house, but it will cost you your relationship with your family. You may get that job you've always wanted. When's the last time you were in church? You may finally get that degree that makes everybody back home so proud of you. but you haven't spoken to God in months. And you wonder, though you have the latest clothes and the $3,000 parkas, and if you have money to go get a $3,000 parka, go get one and get one for me too. <laughs> go get you some, friend. But not at the expense of losing your relationship with God because you gotta work seven days a week, 16 hours a day to live that dream. It is not worth it. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And there's a lot of people that have a lot of riches on the outside, but inside, they're empty. They're empty. Listen. They're not willing to quit that job, but they're willing to take 25 minutes to go talk to a secular therapist. They're willing to go and find a corner where they're willing to get the drugs that they want. They're willing to break their relationship with God even further and start walking into LCBO. They're willing to start breaking down their relationship with God day after day after day after day. And just like that sorry little house plant, that you forget to water. It goes from vibrant green. I'm looking at a lot of guilty faces right now in the, in the congregation. Some of us have green thumbs and some of us have thumbs of death. Right? Just like that sorry little house plant, someone with so much hope gives it, oh, here's an amazing gift. You're like, you realize you just condemned this plant to a horrible, excruciating death. How much sunlight does it need? Don't know. How much water does it need? It doesn't matter. I'm going to forget. It's, it's either none or too much. Right? It's either the Sahara Desert or the rainforest. It's one or the other. Amen. Right? <laughs> That's exactly how our relationship with the Lord can be. So busy. Read a statement once that said, take the time that it takes to be holy. Take the time that it takes. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. It takes time. 
to have a relationship with God. It means that when you look and you shop, you may think, I'm never going to be able to own that because it would take way too much time away from my family and from my God to get the money to get that. Oh, you can always get a loan and a credit card. You really want to live that life? The borrower is servant to the lender. The borrow, there are so many people, their relationship with God is stifled. Stifled. Choking to death. Gasping for air. Their relationship with God. Why? Because they are chained with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of debt. I get it. I love buying stuff. You give me money, it ain't gonna last long, friend. Oh, pastor, that's not good. I know. <laughs> that's why I have a wonderful wife that says, you better not do that. That's good. We're a good team. Praise God for that. She, she reluctantly tells me things she wants because I'll just go buy it, right? Not because there's any threat, but because she's like, we, we can't spend the money. I'm like, hey, I love you. And if you want that, you're getting it now. Amen. You got, look, you've got your spenders and you've got your savers. And it's good to have a relationship where one is one of the either. You've got a, a, a saver and a spender. Because if all you're doing is saving, you're living like a, you're Ebenezer Scrooge. You're living like a miser and you're not living life. That's my opinion. That's not Bible. Just don't, don't, don't. I'm not going to quote a verse right now. That's just my opinion. And if you're both, if you're both spenders, bro, are you in debt? Crazy, having the time of your life. <laughs> but eventually you got to go to work and pay that off. Hmm? But when it comes to our spiritual life, it's so restricting and constricting. And Man, I really want to spend time with God, but it's 5 a.m. I've got to get back on the subway. Got to go to work. Got to go work my fourth job for today. Fourth job? Now, I get it. Toronto's expensive, and it keeps going up. And the people we vote in, I'm not supposed to talk about politics. I'm going to push pause right there. Anyway, taxes seem to keep going up, too. It is better to downsize. It is better to downsize. It is better to downsize and keep your relationship with the Lord. Even in judgment, when God's people were wandering around the wilderness. You know the judgment? This just occurred to me. The judgment, yeah, was that they were wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, but part of the judgment was God didn't let them get any new shoes the whole time. They had to wear the same pair of sandals every day for 40 years. God, no! <sighs> Nike hasn't figured out that recipe yet because shoes don't last 40 years. That was actually God's mercy, right? It was God's mercy. They're in a wilderness. Where are they going to get the things to make shoes? I don't know why I said that. It's worth the sacrifice to stay with God. Even though in the judgment of their sin, they're walking and wandering around. They were still with God. God was still taking care of them. 
God was still taking care of them. We'll look at one or two more verses and then we'll wrap it up for today. This is going to be a, a message that is going to have two sections, maybe three. We're talking about fellowship with God. Again, these are the months where it's cold, it's dark, it's very easy for the coldness to seep into our soul. It's very easy for the darkness to, to, to come inside. It's very easy for us to grow weary and depressed and frustrated. We need to have a vibrant walk with God right now. And so this is going to be a three-part, two or three-part sermon, depending on how God leads on walking with God. The first point, the only point for today is God has always wanted us to be with him. He's always wanted us to be with him. Let's look at two passages and we'll be done. Mark 3. Go with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark 3 and 13. I love this verse. I love this verse. Our God is relational. He's relational. He's not just looking for workers. He's looking for people to have a relationship with that will work with him. Mark 3, verse 13. This is when he's calling the apostles. He's calling the 12. He's calling the apostles. This is the passage. Verse 13. And he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. Okay, so out of the group, out of the large group, he's calling the 12, right? Notice it says in verse 14, and he ordained 12, what's the first thing that he's called them to? That they should be with him. Oh, my brother and sister, God has not called you to be a worker away from him. When I work for Jesus, away from Jesus, inside, it begins to just shrink up and dry up. The Bible says in John 15 that without me, Jesus said, ye can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. When we try to serve the Lord without spending time with him, we either quit or we get nasty about it. Hmm? Jesus said, first of all, first thing, yeah, you apostles, you're going to do amazing things. You're going to do amazing things. You're going to write books of the Bible. You're going to heal people. You're going to raise people from the dead, right? You're going to do all these amazing things. But job number one, job number one for the Christian. Job number one, you need to be with me. The first calling is a calling to a relationship with Christ. Do you have that? How's your relationship with the Lord? When's the last time you read? Listen, let's, listen. When's the last time you spent time with him in reading his word or in praising him and a tear started trickling down because he's so good because he's so good. When's the last time you heard his voice comforting you in your private time? 
Pastor, I've been so busy. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? They ordained 12 that they should be with him. Notice in verse number, uh, Acts 4, verse 13, and this will be the last passage for today. Acts 4 and verse 13. Many amazing things are happening. Several weeks ago, we, I preached about the, the man who was raised. He had impotent legs, like he had weak legs, right, from his birth. He was raised up, and he's in the temple leaping and praising God. Amen. Then Peter stands up and preaches a sermon. All these people are getting saved. And then the, the, the elders start to threaten them. You better stop preaching in the name of Jesus. What does Peter do in response to the threat? Preaches a little more. What a blessing. Look at verse number 11. Peter's preaching. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. He's saying Jesus is the cornerstone that you rejected, and he is the cornerstone upon which all that God is building, it's upon him is what he's saying. Right? Verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What a powerful, powerful verse. But notice what the response is, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, stop. This means they, that didn't mean that they didn't know how to read, right? Didn't mean that they were completely ignorant. It meant that they did not have the same education as a Pharisee or Sadducee. That's what it meant. Okay? It means they didn't have a PhD in biblical studies or in Old Testament. That's what it meant. Notice. They perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled. Oh, my friends, here it is. You ready? And they took knowledge of them that they'd been with Jesus. Mark chapter 3, he said... Your job is to be with me. They follow him. He dies. Three days later, resurrected. 40 days, shows himself alive, ascends to heaven. They're still spending time with Jesus. And it enabled them to go throughout their day and do exactly what God wanted them to do. People are getting saved. They're living in joy. They have that unbroken relationship with Christ. Do you have that? Do I have that? Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. How's your relationship with the Lord? God's word says in Romans, just listen carefully as I read this verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin separates us from God. We began to invent our own belief structure the way Adam did when he began covering himself up. Have you come to Jesus honestly with your whole heart turning to him saying, I completely believe in you. I'm trusting what you did for me on the cross. 
that you took my sin upon yourself and you've taken my sin away from me, that now I may have a relationship with God. Because that's exactly what he did on the cross. When he died on the cross, he died for the sins of the whole world. But we have to accept it. We have to accept it. Once we accept it, we're forgiven, forever forgiven. He died once, we have to receive him once as our savior. From that moment, we have eternal life. God intends for you to begin to grow in grace and grow in your relationship with him. Is that true? Do you know for sure that you're saved? Occasionally at Sparrow, we'll ask if you'll raise your hand. And I'd like to go through that exercise if you would. You say, Pastor, I do know 100% sure that if I died, I'd go to heaven because I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I know I've been saved. I know I've been born again. If that's true, would you slip your hand up? You know that's true. You know that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Thank you. Now, once again, I'm the only person that's, been, that's looking. If you weren't able to raise your hand in any way, that's not meant to embarrass you. It's meant for you to internalize the question and really genuinely think about it. You say, Pastor, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven, but I'd like for you to pray for me. I'd like for you to pray for me. Now, me praying for you doesn't make you a Christian, but prayer helps us, helps to clarify things in our mind. Is there anybody that would slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I don't know for sure, but I'd like for you to pray for me. Thank you so much. I see those hands. Thank you so much. Father, thank you for an opportunity to worship you today. I pray, first of all, for these that have raised their hand. They don't know for sure that they're saved. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, you would help them come to the, to the peace of knowing you as their Savior. Father, though it's not, it's not complicated, it's simple, but it's specific. And I pray that you would help them to come to that by knowing that they're a sinner, that they must completely accept you as their Savior. Lord, I pray for those of us in the room who are saved. God, perhaps they've had struggles in their relationship with you. This message was for them, a call back, a call back to a relationship. Perhaps there's some things in their life that is causing them to be too busy that they need to cut out of their schedule so that they can spend the proper amount of time with you. Help our church to grow in grace. I pray for these once again who've raised their hand that they're not sure that they're saved. Help them to be willing to have the conversation to come to that conclusion when they're ready. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. My friends, thank you so much for your kind attention. We can all stand. We'll have a, a quick chorus. I love you, Lord. And then I'm going to ask Brother Andre if you could come forward. Brother Andre, come on up. After we sing the song, I'll just ask you to close in prayer. And then I'll uh, 
I'll be in the back if anybody needs to speak to me, okay? Let's sing our song together. Ready? I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Brother Andre, please. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to be here this morning, Lord. Thank you for the message, Lord. Thank you for the love, 